Welcome back to this week's episode of Seeking Proof, Finding Grace. I'm your host, Ron Campbell, and this week, as with every week, I want to start off by encouraging you of the most important truth in the entire universe. God loves you. You know, as we look to get started this week, I love this quote from a book called The Privileged Planet by Drs. Gonzalez and Richards. And I think this kind of sums up part of what we've been seeing in the journey so far. The quote says, The intended subtext, of course, is that one will be scientific only to the extent that one is non-religious. To be religious in the narrow sense intended here is to believe that there is something unique, special, or intentional about our existence and the existence of the cosmos. Science here has a special definition as well. Rather than a search for the truth about nature, based on the evidence, systematic study, and the like, science becomes applied naturalism. The conviction that the material world is all there is and that chance and impersonal natural law alone explain, indeed must explain, its existence. I love the context they put that in. There is this temptation as we go forward to see everything within the context of, well, anything but God is an acceptable answer. We've talked about the cosmological argument, and last week we put one of three options on the table. Last week we did the first option, which was we were created by an intelligent third party, that an outside entity who is timeless, spaceless, immaterial, incredibly powerful, and incredibly smart, created the universe and everything that we see around us. The second two options are going to involve the universe ultimately coming into existence out of nothing. And that's what we're going to talk about today is option number two. Could the universe and everything within it simply pop into existence out of nothing? And that's going to be a really difficult concept to hold on to. And it's going to be difficult for everybody to play by the rules, you might say, as we go through this. Now, holding to a strict definition of nothing is going to be the issue. Nothing is defined as not anything. And that's kind of a difficult concept for all of us to grasp. Nothing really is not something that we deal with in our daily lives at all. We're surrounded by things. And so nothing becomes incredibly difficult to understand. You know, from our concept, you might think of nothing as, well, what's on TV? Well, nothing. Nothing's ever on TV is what we always complain. And the more channels we get, the more that seems to be true, ironically. When your kids are growing up, you think of it from the perspective of, hey, what'd you do at school today? And after about fourth grade, the answer becomes nothing. And good luck trying to get you know, an answer of what actually happened at school today. And the third thing might be when you hear a crash, what's going on in there? The, the, word, you know, the response you get back is nothing. And you ignore that one at your own peril. But in each one of these, I think what you're missing is we're approaching this idea of not anything important. And that's where we tend to go in our minds. When we think of nothing, we think, well, there's nothing important. But to really grasp nothing, we have to step back from that. I was tempted to define this as cold, empty space being nothing. But again, that's a misnomer too. Space is many things, but space is not empty. Space itself is a thing. And within the confines of quote-unquote cold, empty space, you've got lots of things out there, from dust to background radiation to all kinds of things. So on this side of the Big Bang, Nothing is not a concept that we can really appreciate, but that's where we're going to have to go to really understand what naturalists are trying to propose when they suggest that the universe could have simply popped into existence out of nothing. 
The problem that you're going to have from a logical standpoint is if the universe could certainly have popped into existence out of nothing, well then why can't anything just pop into existence out of nothing? Why don't things just materialize suddenly out of anywhere? Wow, candy bar. That would be super nice, but candy bars just don't pop into existence. I wish they would, though. So when we look at this and we go forward, you've got to understand the concept of things just popping into existence really doesn't work terribly well. So let's go back to where we talked about the singularity. Now, when we were talking about singularity, this is going to represent the beginning point of the universe, that place where all of our theories break down, that question mark that we talked about. We really don't exactly know how to describe it, but we're going to describe it as that question mark at the very beginning. I want you to imagine on one hand, you've got nothing. There's nothing that exists on one side of the singularity. And on the other side of the singularity, well, everything exists on this side. Right here in the middle where I'm sitting, this is going to be the singularity. And what we've got to try to do is to go from nothing to everything all in one leap. But what we've got to do, that's a one-way process. Things do not go from this way, everything, back to nothing. It can't work that way. And we're going to see some temptation to start sneaking things back from everything into nothing in an effort, well, to explain everything. And that is something we just can't allow. So I want to start off with a quote bite from Stephen Hawking. Now, we're going to talk about Hawking next week. The entire episode will be devoted to Dr. Hawking. But this week, I want to throw in one quote just to illustrate a little bit of the problem that we're going to have here. This is a quote from his book, The Grand Design. Because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist. That's not a great philosophical statement. And again, Stephen Hawking gets all the credit in the world for being one of the most brilliant physicists of the last hundred years. His philosophy, though, not always great. And we're going to come back to this quote here in a minute. I remember when Dr. Hawking's book, The Grand Design, first came out. The Discovery Channel ran a special that night, actually a couple of specials, showing Dr. Hawking's theory and how everything came from nothing and walking through his idea of what the how the universe leapt into existence. And after they were done, they moved to a panel of scientists and asked the scientists what they thought. And my expectation was the scientists were just going to jump on board, actually two thumbs in the air, thought it was great, couldn't be more spot on. And that wasn't the reaction that it got. They were very lukewarm to his philosophical conclusions. And there was a lot of, well, you know, maybe, and a lot of people backing away slowly from what he said. And that actually surprised me a great deal. But Hawking's ideas are at the forefront of philosophical naturalism. His ideas continue to push forward as this idea that the universe could have simply popped up from nothing. And whether it's Stephen Hawking or Lawrence Krauss, or so many other scientists who jump on this bandwagon, what you're going to find is that they don't oftentimes stick to an actual, literal definition of nothing for the universe to pop out of. There are two areas that we need to look at here where this temptation to smuggle things back onto the other side of, of the singularity happen. The first is going to be actually smuggling the beginning of the universe over into explain the beginning of the universe. The most common item that you see this happening with is something called a quantum vacuum. Ooh, nice! Oh, no! What is the universe thinking? Funyun. Anyway, quantum vacuums are not nothing. Quantum vacuum is an energy field. 
And within the field of quantum mechanics, something that a lot of us don't spend a lot of time studying, admittedly, scientists can observe particles coming in and out of well, in and out of our ability to detect them. Now, there's a lot of different interpretations of quantum mechanics. Some people would argue that what scientists are observing are particles coming in and out of just our ability to detect them. It's like a quantum game of peekaboo almost. The particle suddenly appears and then it disappears. Some people would interpret that though to mean something more like the particle is materializing. It's actually being created and then it's being destroyed. And that remains a hot topic of debate as we look into what's actually going on. So within a quantum vacuum, within this energy field, if you disturb the energy field, you can detect particles coming in and out of our ability to detect them, or conceivably in and out of existence. Now, scientists will look at that and they'll speculate based on that behavior. Is it possible that the universe leapt into existence much like what we see particles doing at the quantum level? And the problems with that should become pretty apparent to you very quickly. Number one, there's the whole question of whether or not the particles are actually coming into existence or whether or not the particles are simply appearing and disappearing from our ability to, to detect them. If the particles are just appearing and disappearing and they've been there the whole time, well then that's a game changer. That just finishes off the argument right there. Because what you have to have is a quantum vacuum where you have particles dancing around the particles pop up and the particles disappear, but obviously on this side of the singularity, you're not getting a quantum vacuum. You can't just magically appear in energy field. The only way this works is if the particles are suddenly appearing out of nothing, and that remains highly debatable. The second problem is going to relate to something I just said. You cannot sneak a quantum vacuum back onto this side of the singularity where there's nothing. You can't sneak something over into nothing in an effort to explain the something that you're trying to explain. That's cheating, and I think we all probably recognize that that's what that is. When presented very carefully philosophically, it doesn't sound that way. It's an observation of how it might have occurred but it's an irrelevant observation. If you can't sneak the energy field back there, nothing is going to come out of nothing. The old saying is true, out of nothing, nothing comes. Well, that's what we're talking about here is nothing. So you don't get to sneak the energy field back over there. The third problem, I'll admit, is not as big as the second, but the third problem is you have to disturb the quantum vacuum to get the particles to react. You're, again, you're, you're inputting design efforts. Something has got to disturb the field to create the behavior that we're observing that might explain the universe. Nothing, again, nothing is over there. So nothing can be disturbing the energy field that shouldn't be there in the first place. Nothing means nothing. So that's going to be our first problem, is trying to sneak something back into nothing to explain everything. You just can't do that. Cheetos. Nice. The universe is back on track. Now, the second issue that we're going to have to deal with in all of this is people trying to sneak ideas or abstract objects, again, from something, what we observe on this side of the Big Bang, back across to the other side of the Big Bang. And again, it simply doesn't work. Let's take Hawking's quote from the Grand Design that I mentioned before. Now, let's walk through what he's actually implying here. Because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist. 
That statement is utterly meaningless to get us past the singularity. Gravity and the observations that Hawking makes are very interesting observations on this side of the singularity. They are absolutely meaningless on the other side of the singularity. The law of gravity is an observation. Laws themselves do not actually facilitate the creation of anything. It would be like me saying, well, the law against speeding is why I will get a ticket. The speed limit dictates that I will get a ticket. No, no, my bad driving is why I get a ticket. The law explains why I got a ticket. The reason I got a ticket, the cause of the ticket, was my foot on the gas pressing too hard. The law simply explains what's actually occurring. So the law of gravity isn't going to get us anywhere closer from the one side of the singularity where there's nothing to the other side of the singularity where there's everything. But this illustrates the second temptation here. We're not actually trying to sneak physical objects like the quantum vacuum in this case beyond the singularity. But what we're trying to do is to apply philosophical concepts and take them across the singularity, again, back into nothing. So the laws of mathematics, a mathematical construct, how could that possibly create anything on the other side of the singularity? Over here on this side of the singularity is nothing. And the laws of mathematics, while again, an interesting description of what's going on around us over here on this side of the singularity, don't mean anything over here. There's nothing to describe. There's no one to describe them. There's no mind for them to exist in. Mathematical truths are evident in the mind of an intelligent being, which ironically, if we're suggesting that mathematical truths and things like that existed on this side of the Big Bang, it feels like we're going back into last week's episode where we were talking about the involvement of a third party, a creator. Far too often what you're going to find in these formulas is the idea that we can sneak in intelligence to tweak the formulas, intelligence to move things in one direction or the other. So if we stick to an actual definition of nothing, and we don't try to sneak physical things into it like the actual beginning of the universe, and we don't try to sneak back into it philosophical things or abstract items like math, then what you find is that barrier still exists with the singularity. Nothing, as long as we adhere to it, can actually explain the cause of anything's existence. Out of nothing, nothing comes. But let's say for a minute we grant that something could have just leapt into existence out of nothing. I want to just, for an intellectual exercise, let's just humor this for a minute. Out of nothing, something suddenly pops. We can't explain it. We don't know how it happened. Boom, it just pops into existence. I think the universe is out of, you know, chips and candy, so I think I'm safe at the moment. But what would be the most likely thing to pop into existence if that occurred? Would it be something like a single atom, like a part, of, like a, a single, like an electron, or maybe a hydrogen atom, or something like that, something that's relatively simple, not very complex, something small, something that might make a little bit more sense. Or is the most likely thing to pop into existence everything, the entire universe, all of the energy, all of the matter, all of the time, all of the space, everything that leapt into existence in this massive event known as the Big Bang. Which is the more likely to have occurred? 
And the reason I want to ask this question is, we all like mathematics. Probabilities are going to start playing a role in our journey. Because again and again and again during this journey, we're going to reach a point of saying, what is the most likely and least likely thing that could have happened? And again, we, I suppose we can't rule out because none of us were there at the beginning of the universe. Can we completely 100% rule out that everything simply jumped into existence from nothing? I, I suppose not. It defies every concept of physics that we could possibly understand. It defies logic. It defies reason. It defies everything that we know. And people have been scrambling for years to come up with a way to do it. And every time it fails, you would think it would point more and more clearly back to the concept that, again, idea number one, that an intelligent third party did this. But let's just say for a minute we, we allow it to happen. We're also eventually going to have to look at what are the odds. You know, every once in a while, somebody wins the lottery. That's actually true. But somebody doesn't win the lottery every single week, week after week after week after week. Because if they did, you would correctly say the game is rigged. Something's going on. There's no way that actually happened. And you would be correct. So if week after week after week, the only way that we can advance the naturalist's argument is by allowing them to move forward based on something that is the least likely option or something that is so mathematically absurd that we would never count on it to happen once, let alone every single time, then the math is going to start piling up on us. And I probably have mentioned this before, and if I haven't, I'll say it now. Math is always going to win. At the end of the day, if you think you can get around the mathematics of something, you cannot. Mathematics is always going to prove you wrong. It'll make a liar out of you every time. So we are going to start totaling this up as we go forward to try to figure out what is the most likely explanation. I think you can see where this is probably starting to go. We're going to have to help naturalism out along the way. And don't worry, the, the math of the situation is going to keep everybody honest in all of this. But to get naturalism across the finish line, you can already see at the beginning of the universe, at the very first moment the universe came into existence, naturalism as an explanation for the creation of the universe is starting to look less and less likely. The idea that the universe popped into existence from nothing doesn't work if you stick to a strict definition of the word nothing, not anything. Next week, we're going to look at Stephen Hawking to see if Hawking can get us around this. Spoiler alert, he can't. And then the week after that, we're going to examine the third possibility, which is, is the universe past eternal? If that fails, which we already know with strong likelihood it's going to fail, thanks to Einstein's general theory of relativity, as we look at this and as we go forward, very rapidly the universe is going to run out of options here to do this from a naturalistic perspective. So to allow this to keep moving forward, as I just did a few moments ago, we're going to have to grant naturalism some favors to keep it moving along the way. And at the end of the day, I think we have to ask ourselves, is that really what we want to do? We're going to go through it for an intellectual exercise. We absolutely are. That part's fine. But I think you have to ask yourself along the way, is this really how we want to try to build this theory going forward? 
you know, I've mentioned a couple of times in all of this, would it be the worst thing in the world that at the very beginning of the universe, at that point of the singularity where all of our formulas break down and we can't exactly explain what happened, that that was the moment that an intelligent creator leapt into the scene and out of nothing created everything for the sole purpose of extending you an offer of spending eternity with him. If someone loved you that much and was willing to do everything that we see around us, to me that seems like the best news imaginable, that there is a God, he created everything, and he did so, and we're going to see this along the way, with so much love and care and attention to detail, that here we sit in the most unlikely of circumstances on this beautiful little blue planet floating in space. Here we sit, created for the sole purpose of him extending an offer of love to us. I, again, I, I'm not sure I understand how that can be the worst possible news out there, but some people, I, I fear, see it that way. Just keep an open mind on this. What if at the beginning of the universe, at that question mark, we find God there waiting for us to extend an offer of love to us? Just keep that open as a possibility. The creator of the universe loves you so much. He did all of this. But this is probably a good stopping point. Next week, we're going to talk about Stephen Hawking. And Hawking is going to try to sneak something far more audacious past the singularity than just a single particle. Hawking is going to go all in trying to rule God out of bounds, and we'll see how he does. I want to thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Seeking Proof, Finding Grace. You can find us on our website at prooftograce.com or reach out to us via email at prooftograce at yahoo.com. You can also find our podcasts on Spotify and iTunes, and I hope you'll hit the like and subscribe button. We would love to have you join us each and every week. Thank you so much for being with us. Bye-bye.